You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processors interview with Anna Castillo. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. In this podcast, we will be discussing her new book of poems titled My Book of the Dead, where she discusses environmental issues, police brutality, Black Lives Matter, homophobia, the problems that come with being a poet and writer of color, and calling attention to different moments in life till death. She of course never shies away from including her indigenous ancestry into her poems as she delves into the world of the ancient Mayans and Aztecs. Ana Castillo, welcome to the Creative Process and One Planet podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, when you're excited, and I believe that we're, you're going to read from my book of the dead. Yes, I, I, because it is called The Creative Process, I've selected two very short poems that I think touch the subject, as they say, right on target, right on the money. One of them, in fact, is called What is Your Writing Process? And it's, an, it's a nice little short poem. With mop in one hand, cocktail in the other, at 9 a.m. or night, fly swatted, roach corpses swept, Lola Beltran belts mi ranchito through house speakers from room to room. I am off key. Mares fed, dogs let out, sun beating on the flat roof, moon rising behind a cloud, horses take form. That's my little poem. What is your writing process? See, though that's a wonderful selection because the first one, yes, very appropriate. So thank you for sharing it and how it, it kind of invites us into your mind. And so even a, a short piece, like what is your writing process? And as I read it and I, as I look at it, it just popped in my head and I wrote it down on a napkin as I was going around sweeping the kitchen. And where, whereas it had that initial spark perhaps when I was going sweeping the kitchen it took me a long time going back to it and years actually to go back to it and make sure that it was right and that it fit in this collection so that's those are so many of the things that I think of as a person who who started her writing life as a poet and takes it very seriously and it's so, you really, I guess you coined that term, chicanisma, you know, before we think about the landscape into which you, you know, came to, to light, feminism had a different face, I guess, at that time. Well, feminism in the, in the 70s was dominated by middle-class women, middle-upper-class women. I could say easily white also, but that would also include, include obviously white women from Europe and, and that, you know, from that background. And, and in the middle class and upper class Latin America and Mexico, a lot of them were actually light-skinned white women that had that privilege. They came from homes that, that obviously had housekeepers and cooks and nannies and, you know, mothers who were probably already educated but had all this going on, whereas the 
the Mexican-American generation that I grew up with were people who had come here looking for work. And so they were working in the fields and factories, as my, my mother did and, and many of us did. So, so there wasn't that, there wasn't a place to go. I can't go to Mexico to identify with the Mexican feminism that's developing there. And there was. I can't go to the white women's feminist movement necessarily in this country because of racism and classism. So with all of those nuances in mind, we, we indeed had to have a, a hook to our, hang our hats on. There was the Chicano movements and there was something considered to be Chicanismo. And the term Chicanismo was sort of spontaneous as I was working on the book because another another aspect of the Chicana and also it came uh, with uh, the Chicano movement was our our excavating of our indigenous histories and that we are so dislocated. We were just so dislocated from in the mid 80s into the present because of many reasons, which we don't have time obviously to get into now. We have a migration of indigenous cultures to this country. We have actually Mixtecas and Zapotecas, second, third generation already who are speaking English, who come from those communities. We didn't have it then. We didn't, we didn't have that connection. We just knew about it. We had to go to Mexico to get it. So we incorporated all of that. And that's where the X also comes from. The Chicanisma includes acknowledgement of, of the conquests and colonization. Well, going back to movements that are happening now and are very much interrelated with what was going on before, this Black Lives Matter campaign that's currently going on, you have a poem actually titled on the 15th anniversary of the Black Panther Party, where you discuss current movements that are happening now and are very much interrelated with what was going on before. Can you expand? You know, I was a, a girl in Chicago during the, in the Black Panther Panthers were in Chicago, maybe 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. I'm becoming um, uh, aware of my environment. And so it was very influential in my way of thinking. The Black Panthers had, of course, like all, all the anti-establishment movements at the time had their enemies that were, were under surveillance and so on. But they also had many supporters who did believe in uh, democracy or the the dream of democracy and 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 were anti-racism and so on very very critical times for this country and this world and fast forward 50 years and i see it i'm still here and i see it and i see this resurgence because maybe we only put the beast to sleep maybe we only Knocked them out with a stun gun, but now it's back. To my mind, politically speaking, it was inevitable. I am so thankful to the young activists that have so bravely taken up these causes and speak out and during COVID and, and you know, in front of police and possibly being gassed and so forth last year went out into the streets because they believe in, in social justice. And so it's not two, it's not separate generations. It's not different movements. It's a continuation of the same, the same social ills, if you will, that we have been living and experiencing and enduring and surviving. 
under what I consider to be corporate, corporate's imperial capitalism. And it's so difficult for any individual to extract themselves from any one of those things on a given day that we can't get out of it. It's like being a fly on sticky paper, you know, once you get caught. We'd like to, we, each of us, and we see this on social media, we're like to think of us all as good people. And we like to think that we are fierce and hardcore and we would never do this and we won't do that. And you will catch me out there and, and I'm not a racist and I don't, and I'm not this. And, you know, all these kind of things that we think we are exempt from. And then, and then when you go down the checklist of the ways that you might be culprit in contributing to this, you will find yourself integrated. We, we, we can talk about our lifestyle. We can talk about the, the way that we, we consume things and what we consume and how we dispose of it and so on and so forth. Even our having a new cell phone is contributing to it. We can go on with the, with the list. And I've, I've gone through periods of time where I've gone through that list and almost lost my mind because you, what can you do? How do you, how do you extract yourself totally and be guiltless of contributing contributing in any way to to some of the injustices that we are we know exist and are destroying humanity destroying the earth destroying our environment and so on so we have to choose and the black lives matter movement is is critical it's critical on so many levels and none of it can be separated but sometimes we focus on one thing over another or or over many other things because we just don't have the energy or the wherewithal to fight it all and to fight it all by yourself all the time. I'm wondering about you as you were a, a young person, you know, obviously the art was something that drew you very early on and writing, you know, do you see the seeds of the writer and artist you would become in your, and activist in, in your young self? I was in junior and senior year of public high school in Chicago. I was attending mostly girl school, urban school that uh, was training, was like a vocational school training girls to be office workers. As a brown woman, at that time, my, my options were somewhat limited, even working in an office. At that time, if we can imagine a brown woman, and if you had a little bit of an accent, that was very bad, but let's just say brown woman with a little bit of an accent would not be hired, for example, as a reception, as a receptionist in an office because the company, or even a dentist's office, let's say, small office because the company did not want the people that came in to see you being representative representative so the so that would be how you it would be limited it would also be limited in that you could be and i was hired very young at 15 years old i was working with the false id as a file clerk but i would never have been a private secretary because again they don't want a person of color being representing the company. So that was, that was sort of the background for me. And by the time I'm in that school, we have the Black Panthers, we have the Black movements was huge. Chicago movements in the West Coast, we're hearing about it, things going on 
student movement, women's movement, all of this is going on. And so in my little head, I start, you know, as I'm reading about this, thinking about this and thinking, well, what are my options in this world? And so it, it politicized me. And I was working in an office via my, my vocational school where they uh, were installing these brand new Xerox machines. This is like a big deal in technology, Xerox machines. And I began a little radical paper on my own where I could make copies and staple them and, and distribute them at the school that was talking about all of these things. And I recruited people to write for my newspaper and wrote for it myself and drew and, you know, and things like that. So, so yes, at, at a very young age, I was already being politicized by seeing, seeing what my limited, what the pattern was there already set out for me, the mold versus what was going on in the world and what I wanted to be a part of. Do you think we might end on you reading a poem, maybe the last poem or, or, or the Banta poem? I would be very happy to read from it. I think that the Book of the Dead poem is, is quite long, but we referenced Amazonia Stalkimando, which is about the Amazon and, and the environment. And, you know, I, 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 as a poet, I've said this, and as a woman of color, I feel very privileged to to have been able to and and I did it in this country which which allowed me to do it to have a voice a voice that some people can hear and when I write a persona poem I think that's part of what I'm doing is giving voice voice to something I hope and I hope I'm doing justice to to a voice that may be underrepresented and so it is a persona poem and and it's called Amazonia está quemando the Amazon is burning one, we sing and dance in praise of the butterfly, translucent blue, gilded wings, dances all its life. From orchid to cacao, saber to banana and fig, tying invisible strings that hold our home in the sky. It must, lest we drop into an abyss or drift where the gods won't find us. This place where butterflies work for you and me, keep rivers full and flowing. Amapari, Canapantuba, and Feliz, the wide and deep goddess far beyond we call the sea. Rain, floods and droughts, a mist or fog, the sun finds us each dawn after a journey home. When the moon comes to guide both the weary and the ready to pounce and hide. Our home is burning. Two. Menacing fires blaze. Moneyed whites rid the earth of the people. Anacondas and spider monkeys. Hawks and toucans. Cicadas and cinnamon. Glass frogs and vines. Palm and rubber trees. Tapirs and manatees, we hear their screams, and all that dies silently. A Amazona, a a Amazonia is the Kemal. They want our abundant lands and to annihilate our mother's opulence. They will end the dance of the butterflies, and then what? We too will die, like in a story 
told by the ancestors that we only imagined. They come for our copper, gold, and ore. Ranchers and loggers raise the lands. At the United Nations, Bolsonaro announced, Go listen to what you hear on the news. Lies. Nothing is burning. Nothing has been set ablaze. 3. We are Waipi. We keep the butterflies happy. They stay working to hold the planets in place. We are the guardians of our mother. Each day before I go to school, I smear the sweet juice of arukum seeds on my body and face. They are a protection from insects and evil spirits. I sit in a classroom with a thatched roof and other Waipi women. I am the only grandmother there. I am chief of my people. I will learn to read and speak to those who set fires and to the ones who may help save our home. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, Anna Castillo, for your writing across genres, which reminds us of the beauty and transience of life, like the butterflies, and for your activism, feminism, and speaking up about injustices while never forgetting your sense of wonder and respect for the natural world. We all live on one planet we call home. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process and One Planet podcast. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.